Third session. Y'all are hanging in there, right? My name's Michael Garreau. I'm one of the teachers here. And what I'm going to be sharing is actually part two of a two-part series. You never heard the first part. Well, some of you did. Some of you were here at the last conference. And this is part two of the part that I started last conference. You, Those of you who weren't here, it's okay. You're Um, You can go back, that's why I put the link there in your notes, and you can go listen to that session, but even if you don't listen to it, um, this should still make sense. Mr. Nuremberg this morning started by sharing with us the invitation that Jesus makes to come to him and learn from him. The invitation is made to all those who are weary, all those who are heavy laden. Then Jake came up, And he shared about this person who's making the invitation. This Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's full of compassion. He is king over all things. He is in absolute control. He is the victor, right, over all things. And so he presented this person. And now what I want to do in this last hour is I want us to think a little bit about this question. How do I know that I've responded to that invitation? How do I know that that transaction has taken place? And so we're going to be thinking about this question. You have it there, the title of the session, Do You Love God? That's the question we're asking. Do you love God with your whole being? So let's begin by praying. Father, we need you right now. And we need you most of all to speak to us to take this word and to make it alive and to to make it that sword that you say that it is and to cause it to pierce our hearts. We might truly hear your voice and truly respond to you. Father, I ask that no one here this morning would be deceived as to where they stand in their relationship with you. And you would make it absolutely clear and you would call us to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're asking this question, do you love God with all that you are? And this is an important question because your answer to that question will reveal and it will expose whether or not you really know God, whether or not you have a relationship with God. Most people don't love God. That's the reality. Most people love themselves. And that love for themselves leads to all sorts of other kinds of loves, all sorts of twisted loves. The love of money, the love of power, the love of career, the love of what people can do for them, the love of pleasure. But love for God is the defining mark of a Christian. So it sets a Christian apart from everyone else. And one of my big concerns for you all coming into this conference, the last one into this one, is this, I I want you to know where you stand in your relationship with God. I don't want that to be fuzzy. I want you to know whether you know Him. There's a whole book written on that. It's called 1 John. And it's written so you would know that you know that you know God. Ultimately, at this moment, you either love God or you love yourself. That's the reality. You either have a total allegiance to God or you have a total allegiance to yourself. It's one or the other. Do you love God with your whole being? And I think the question is helpful because it cuts through a lot of the confusion as to what it means to be a Christian. 
Being a Christian is more than believing certain things about God. If you remember the last conference, those of you here, you're, you're hearing the same thing, right? It's more than believing certain things about God. Being a Christian is more than just believing that you're a sinner and that Jesus came and died on the cross and that Jesus is God and that he rose from the dead. It's, it's more than just believing. It's not less than believing, but it's more than believing things about God. It's more than participating in certain religious activities like going to church or having your devotions or coming to totally His. It's more than that. And being a Christian is more than living a certain way of life, you know, having a certain moral, being a good person. Would you agree with me? Being a Christian is more than just being a good person, not doing drugs and smoking and this and that and being truthful and kind and walking old ladies across the street. Right? It's more than just being a good moral person. Why do I say this? Why is it more? Because it's possible to check all those things off the list, going to church and believe, believing certain things and being a good person and still love yourself most of all. It's possible. It's possible to do all those things and not love God with all that you are. Here's a point I'm trying to make. I believe in our day, if you grew up in the church, you're living in the church, it's very easy to pretend to be a Christian. It's not that hard. It's really pretty easy to get everyone around you to believe that you're a Christian. And it's scary, it's even easy to deceive your own self into thinking that you're a Christian and not really love God. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. Do you love God supremely? We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 22. So if you turn there, Matthew 22, and we're going to be looking at a short little passage that brings this out. Matthew 22, Jesus is, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. It's right before he's going to the cross. And you have religious leaders who are coming to him and asking him these tough theological questions. And the reason they're asking him tough questions is because they want him to trip up in his words. They want him to say something wrong so then they can accuse him and they can tear him down and discredit him. And so their motives are not exactly uh, great. But one of them comes to him, and we're looking at verse 34. So we're in chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so he'd already answered one question from the Sadducees, then they gathered together, you know, they got this little huddle. What question do we ask him next, you know? And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. You see the, see the, the point here? Trying to, trying to trip him up. And they ask him this question, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the Jews believed that there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Who's read the Old Testament? There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. There's 613. And so he's asking, out of the 613, which is the most important? Which is the greatest? Well, that's a great way to trip someone up, right? <laughs> In a way, what he's asking, though, is important. He's saying, what is most important in life? What is the most important thing you can give yourself to in life? That's a pretty important question. 
And so Jesus answers. And what Jesus does is he just quotes the Old Testament. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and he says, um, you shall love the Lord your God. Can we say that all together? Because we probably have pretty much the same translation. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what he says to him. He says, this is the first and the foremost commandment. In other words, there's really no greater aim in life than this right here. If you're pursuing anything other than love for God, complete love for God, you're, you're pursuing second best for your life. This is the first thing that you are to be about. You can't aim any higher than this. But then he adds something. Look at verse 39. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he says, depends the whole law and the prophets. The whole law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The whole Old Testament, the whole Word of God depends on love for God, love for neighbor. It's like a door that swings on the hinges. And the Old Old Testament is swinging on the hinges of love for God, love for neighbor. In other words, he's saying, if you read the Old Testament, actually in a sense he's saying, if you read the entire Word of God, and you don't come away with, I should love God and love people, you've missed the entire point of the Word of God. You've just completely missed it. Because it all hinges on those two things. Do you think we should pay attention? Like, whoa, we need to pay attention to these two laws. Do you love God? This is what a follower of Jesus Christ is characterized by. If you have responded to the invitation, if you've repented of your sins, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have new spiritual life in you by the Spirit of God, then you will love God with your whole being. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. This is what will characterize your life. Now, I'm not talking about perfection here. Because sometimes it can sound like perfection. But I'm talking about what is fundamental to your life. I'm talking about what is at the core of your being. What is central to your life. What is it that's central? What is it down the very core of your being? What animates you? You know, what drives you in life? Is it love for God? Is it love for people? Now we're going to look at two things and you have it there on your notes and I do have some blanks on your notes so I'll try to emphasize those blanks if you want to fill them in. But we're looking at two things. First, the priority of this love for God and this is going to overlap with what we looked back in June but it's important. And then we're going to look at something a little bit different that we did not look back at June, the expression of this love for God. So first of all, this priority. What does it mean to love God? Love is a difficult word to define, right? We love, we, we use the word love in all sorts of ways. We love our cat. We love our mom. We love, I hope you love the ice cream my kids are selling out there in the afternoons. Um, right? We love all sorts of things. And so we have to define this word love. First of all, we're not talking about a love for things. We're talking about a love for a personal being, right? But we're not just talking about a love for equals, like fellow human beings. We're talking about a love for God, the ultimate being, right? The creator of all things. And so how can we define this love? And I have it there in your notes. Love for God refers to a relationship. 
That's the first blank there. It's a relationship. That's the first thing. We've been hearing a lot about this, right? That a, a Christian is known as a relationship with God, but as a relationship with a person. This, this kind of love we're talking about is a relational kind of love. Okay, something that is reciprocal. Secondly, it is characterized by an unrivaled affection. An unrivaled affection. There's your next blank. That is, what do I mean by affection? I mean something more than just emotions. Your affections are that part of you that looks at something and values it, and that valuing of it drives you to get it. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen something and going, Oh, I want that. And then everything in you starts to drive. You know, you start washing cars or doing that or whatever so you can buy that thing. You can have it. Like everything in you starts moving in that direction. It's because you value it. And we are called to value God supremely. Why do we value God supremely? Because there is no one more valuable than God. I mean, He is the creator of all things. So we value Him supremely. To love God is to delight in God. To love God is to enjoy God. To love God is to worship Him. It's to glorify Him. It's to boast in Him. To love God is to say, Whoa, God, there's no one like you. There is no one that compares to you. I want you more than anything. Because nothing comes close to you. You see that? It's that unrivaled affection. But then, secondly, it's also characterized by what? An absolute loyalty. There's your word, loyalty. An absolute loyalty. That is, to love God means to be loyal to Him. It means to be loyal to His Word. Loyal to His will. When the Bible speaks of loving God, it almost always connects it with obedience. You can't love God without obeying God. So, it is an affection for God, but it is also a loyalty to God, a devotion to God, a commitment to God. Does it make sense? So this love is an affection for God, but it is a commitment to God. I value God supremely and I'm committed to Him entirely. I love God with my whole being. Do you love God with your whole being? What does it mean to love God with your whole being? What does that mean? What does it mean to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, with every part of you? Well, it means two things. One, we must love God with every part of our being. There's your next blank. Every part of our being. These words, mind, heart, soul, they're kind of interchangeable words and they're simply describing or, or making the point, you got to love God with every part of you. Every part of your life needs to be aiming at love for God. Does it make sense? That is, love for God is not something you do on the periphery of your life. It's not a hobby. It's not something you do on Sunday. On Sunday, let's go love God. Rest of the week, let's love me. You know, That's not how it works. It has to be every part of your being. And secondly, we love God down to the very core of our being. So it's every part of us, but it's also down to the core. There's your next blank. We love God down to the core of our being. 
down to the very control center of our lives. The love that God requires of you and requires of me has to be total, absolute, complete. Does that make sense? In fact, and I had you all write this down last time, but write it down again. This love for God is not possible unless it is total. You can write that down. It's not possible unless it's total. God has wired you this way. God created you this way. You cannot serve two masters. It's not possible. Jesus said you either love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot love God and love yourself. You cannot love God in this world. You can't love God and money. It's not possible. Does it make sense? So it has to be total. Total. So the question is, do you love God with your whole being? Now, so far, this sounds very familiar if you've been here to the last conference, but we're going to transition here. In the last conference, I then asked the question, how is this kind of love possible? How is this kind of love possible? And I answered it with this question, with this response. Our love for God is a response to God's love for us. You cannot love God this way unless God first loves you this way. Does it make sense? But God has loved you this way. (laughs) He has demonstrated that love for you by sending His Son to a cross. I loved what Caleb shared the other day in his testimony. And I remember in that testimony how he struggled, how he felt like a caterpillar. Remember that? And it all kept going on and on and on, feeling like a caterpillar until when? Until a day when he got honest with God and he cried out to God. And what happened then? He said, God revealed his love to Caleb. And that's when everything changed. And until God reveals His love to you, until you begin to see the love of God for you, you won't be able to love Him back. It's not possible. So if you want to learn more about that, go to the last session, go to the website, listen to the session, you get more of that. But today, I want us to ask ourselves this question now. How do I know that I love God with my whole heart? How do I know? What is the evidence of this love for God? Like, how is it going to be expressed in my life? What difference will it make? If I love God with my whole being, what difference will it make in my life? And I want us to think about that for the rest of this session. And you have it there. Next big major bullet point. The expression of loving God. Love for God is what? It's expressed in loving whom? Our neighbor, right? That's how it's going to be expressed. How do I know you love God? Here's how I know you love God. You love people. It's very clear. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew 22. Now, it's very interesting what's going on here in Matthew 22. So so think through it again with me. Here's this lawyer. Now, don't think of a lawyer like today. Um, This lawyer, think of him more as a theologian, a professional theologian. That is, he makes his living from knowing God's law really, really well and by answering tough questions. That's his whole life. He's like a professional uh, theologian. 
And he comes to Jesus with this question. Now, note the question he asks Jesus. He says, what is the great commandment in the law? He does not ask Jesus, what are the great commandments? Give me the top three, the top two. But listen to what Jesus does. Does he just give the great commandment? No, he also gives the what? The second. How interesting. Like, why does Jesus give the second? He was not asked for the second. Why does Jesus slip the second one in there? Well, there's a reason. There's a logic here to what Jesus is doing. And here's the reason why he says love neighbor after love God. You can't separate them. And if you separate them, then you get it all wrong. Does it make sense? Like they go together. Love for God and love for people come together. And the first commandment would be incomplete without the second commandment. How do you know what is the evidence that I love God? That my heart has been rightly reordered in relationship to God. I start loving people around me. That's how I know. All right, here's the blank. It's impossible to love God without loving people. It's there in your notes. It's impossible to love God without loving people. Have you heard that before? Something to think about. Think about what's going on here in this in this study. Here's this lawyer. He comes to Jesus. Why does he come to Jesus? He comes to ask a question. Why is he asking the question? His intent is to trip Jesus up. His intent, it tells us right there, here, right? He comes to test him. He wants Jesus to mess up. So isn't this fascinating? Is the lawyer loving Jesus? No, right? Do you like it when someone comes to you to ask a hard question because they really want you to say something stupid so they can laugh at you or ridicule you or like is that person loving you? No. They're not they're not loving you. This lawyer is not loving Jesus. In fact, the lawyer thinks that he's coming to Jesus to expose Jesus, you know. Let me unveil how foolish this man really is. But you know what really happens? Jesus lovingly exposes the lawyer. Isn't that crazy? By answering the question. How does he do that? He basically says, he's subtly communicating to this lawyer, you don't love your neighbor. Therefore, you don't love God. And little did the lawyer realize that before him was a person, a man who was both his neighbor, right in front of him, but also his God. He didn't know that. Isn't that incredible? And Jesus is responding and trying to open this man's life, this man's eyes to his inadequacy, to the problem in his heart. So what is Jesus saying to the lawyer? What is Jesus saying to us when he takes the second commandments and puts it again, connects it with the first? Here's what he's saying. If you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not loving God with all your heart. Do you hear that? He's putting those two together. 
and he's linking them. All right, so what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does that mean? Um, Apart from God's mercy and grace, we all live self-centered, selfish lives. It's just a reality. We use people. Our relationship to other people, apart from God's mercy, we will relate to other people in such a way that, that we will try to use them for our own ends. And we learn to do this from a little baby. <laughs> from the moment we're born, we start learning the art of manipulation. <laughs> right? We learn how to manipulate people to do what we want them to do. And so we learn how to cry, how to flatter, how to demean, how to harass, how to guilt people into doing what we want them to do. Right? That's a pretty accurate description. But it takes a work of God. It takes a miraculous work of God to take a self-centered person like that and turn them into a God-centered person and an other-centered person. So what does this look like? What does it mean to love neighbor as yourself? Here's the definition that I have. It's in your notes. Love for neighbor is the pursuit. Love for neighbor is the pursuit of another person's well-being. It's the pursuit of another person's well-being even at personal cost. You say, well, how did you come up with that definition? Here's how I came up with the definition. Because our love for people should be a reflection of God's love for us. We ask ourselves the question, how did God love us? Well, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish not be destroyed, not die, but have what? Everlasting life. So what is God? How does God love you? How does God love me? He wants, he's seeking, he's pursuing your well-being, right? He wants you to live. He doesn't want you to die. And how does he pursue your well-being? At personal cost to himself. He gives you his son. He sends you his son to come to this earth, to live as a man, to live as a a poor man, a servant, and then go to a cross, and there on that cross, bear the penalty, the punishment that you and I deserved. That's how he loves us. Jesus went there voluntarily. Pursuing the well-being of others doesn't just mean pursuing their physical, temporal well-being. It also means pursuing their spiritual, eternal well-being. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been concerned for the spiritual, eternal well-being of another human being, of another person? Have you ever been concerned for the spiritual well-being of another person. If you have, that's an indication that God's done a work in your heart because you would not naturally be concerned for others. Does that make sense? Naturally, we're selfish. We're concerned about me. Me first. Well, who's my neighbor? You say, well, who's a neighbor? 
we naturally want to set boundaries. Here's the people I need to love. Here's the people I don't need to love. We, we all want to set boundaries, you know, as to who we who we have to love. But when Jesus comes, he destroys all boundaries. There are no more boundaries. And since he says, if you read the New Testament and you ask yourself the question, who am I to love? The answer is everyone. Everyone. You got it there in your notes. God does not restrict. God does not restrict our love to a particular group of people. And so you're to love your family. You're to love your mother, your father. You're to love your brothers, your sisters. You are to love your church family. You're to, you're to love brothers and sisters in Christ. You're to love the people you bump into. Everyone you bump into at the, at the store, you know, at the grocery store, uh, in your neighborhood, on Facebook, or not Facebook anymore, social media, right? Whatever it is you use. Wherever you bump into people, you're to love them, right? You're even to love your enemies. I mean, Jesus goes even beyond that. You're to love people who hate you, who want to hurt you. You might even be called to love people you don't even know. People halfway across the world to pray for them, to give to them, to go to them. So Jesus says you're to love. Who's your neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. Love, again, love doesn't mean that you do for others what they want, what they always want you to do. Love doesn't just mean that you just do whatever people ask you to do. No, sometimes love says no. Right? Sometimes love has to confront people. Sometimes love has to part company with people. Love is seeking a person's ultimate well-being, even at personal cost. Okay. And then he says, as yourself. Ooh, that's interesting. Here's what it means, and you have it in your notes. It means to be as, as devoted and committed to our neighbor's happiness and well-being as we are to our own. To be as devoted to their well-being, as devoted as you are to your own well-being. We all naturally take care of ourselves. We brush our teeth. We feed ourselves. We, we take care of ourselves. And it's to expend the same kind of energy and devotion that we expend on ourselves to expend on others. Does that make sense? That's what it means. So, the question I'm asking again is, do we love God? And it becomes really practical, right? Do we love people in our lives? Do we love those people you bump into every day, your own family members, your friends? Do you love them? Are you pursuing their well-being, their ultimate well-being, even at personal cost? Well, why why is loving neighbor an expression of our love for God? Why is there this close relationship between loving God and loving neighbor? Here's two reasons. One, when we love people, we are obeying God. There's the blank. We are obeying God. And obedience to God is an expression of love for God. I was asking my kids this the other day. I had them around the table. We're doing evening devotions. And I say, okay, kids. Let's say that I ask you to do something and you totally disobey me. Are you loving me? Oh, they, no, daddy. We are not obeying. We are not loving you. It was a no duh answer, right? If you don't obey someone in authority over you, you're not loving them, right? 
Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then a little later he says, here's my commandment. You know what he's going to say? Here's my commandment that you what? Love one another. So if you love me, you obey. What do you need to obey? Love one another. You see the relationship? So that's one. Second reason why these two are connected is because when we love God, here's your blank, we are sharing. We are sharing God's heart. We are sharing in God's heart. God's heart is for people. Did you know that? God loves people. God gave his life for people, human beings, you and me. And when we begin to love people, we begin to share in God's heart. We begin to value what he values, love what he loves. And that is an expression of our love for God, our affection for God, our devotion to God. I want you to hear me really carefully here because I don't want you to be confused in your mind. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying if you want to be saved, you need to love people and do good works. There is nothing good you can do to earn God's favor. Do you hear me? There is nothing good you can do to earn God's favor. Jesus Christ has done everything for you and for me to restore that relationship between me and God, you and God. God has, Jesus done everything. But what am I saying? I'm asking a question that I want us to think about. And here's the question. Does your life demonstrate that you have understood and experienced God's saving love for you? Does your life show that you have experienced the love of God? Does your life demonstrate that you have responded to His love with an unrivaled affection and an absolute loyalty, a complete, absolute love for Him? Does it show that? Has that transaction occurred in your life? And if it has you'll know it. And the people around you will know it. Why? Because you will begin to love people all around you. You will stop living a self-centered life and you'll begin living an other-centered life. And now you'll be a different person. Does that make sense? And this is the question we're asking. Friends, I want you to know God loves every one of you. God loves you. God is seeking your well-being. And when he gives these two commandments, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And when he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself, he is not trying to make your life miserable. We can kind of hear it that way. Like, you're just trying to ruin my life. You know, my life. No, God is pleading with you. And God is wanting to give you the only true life. He's wanting to give you what matters. He's wanting to fulfill you. He's wanting to give you himself. God created us. He knows how we work. When Ford or Toyota 
designs a vehicle to run on gas, your car will be quite unhappy if you buy some of the Gatorade out here that my kids are selling and you put it in the gas tank. If you try to make your car run on Gatorade versus gasoline, your car is going to get mighty unhappy. In fact, it's going to destroy your car. Make sense? You were not created to live a self-centered life. You were created to love God. You were created to love others. Let me make you a promise. Promises are dangerous, but I'll make the promise because I'm basing it on the Word of God. Live for yourself and you will have a miserable existence. Live for yourself and you will destroy yourself. Live a self-centered life and just like that car trying to run on Gatorade, you're going to break down. Somewhere, at some place, at some point, you're going to break down. So what am I trying to say? God's commands here are loving commands. They're gracious commands. They're good commands. He is seeking your best. Loving God and loving people frees us from the bondage of a self-centered life. In fact, James calls loving your neighbor the law of liberty. The law that sets free. You want a law that sets free? There it is. Love God, love neighbor. I've walked with the Lord for over 20 years and I can testify to you that loving God with your whole being and loving your neighbor as yourself is the only truly fulfilling life. It's the only happy life. Do you love God? I want you to bow your heads right now. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want you to I want you to think a little bit before we close. Where where are you right now? I want you to think. Ask yourself that question. Where am I? Ask yourself the question. Have I understood the saving love of Jesus Christ? Have I understood God's love for me? Ask yourself the question. Does God have my unrivaled affection and absolute loyalty? Does God have that? And is that evident in the way you live your life with respect to others? Is it evident by the way you treat your parents? Ouch. Your siblings? Your friends? Your peers? Even your enemies? People that you look down on or that are opposed to you. Is your love for God evident by the direction your life is taking in a critical place in your life? You're making big decisions, directional decisions. Is it evident with the goals that you have in your life?
Examine your heart. Do you love God with all that you are? And is it evident by the way you treat the people around you? Perhaps God is speaking to you and showing you that you really don't love him with your whole being. And I would urge you right now, we're hearing this this morning, God is the God of the present tense. Pastor Hubbard has been also speaking of that. It's right now. This is the moment. I urge you, turn to Jesus. Jesus went to a cross because we don't love God with our whole being. Jesus is the only one who can restore that relationship between you and God. See, what do I say? Just be honest with God. Acknowledge where you're at. Say, I don't love you with my whole being. Just say it to him. Be honest. Confess where you're at. Confess your sin to God. And say, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Save me from myself. Tell him that you want him with your whole being, that you are ready to love him and be loyal to him and put him first in your life. Maybe you're here and you have experienced God's saving work in your life. You do love God. You love God with your whole being and there is a lot of evidence in your life that you love God with your whole being. But perhaps God... This morning, he's speaking to you. Perhaps he's calling you deeper. He's calling you to a greater level of devotion and commitment. Perhaps, perhaps he's putting his finger, perhaps the Spirit of God is putting his finger on a relationship that is not right, and you know it's not right. A person you need to forgive, or perhaps a person you need to ask forgiveness of. A person you've mistreated. Deal with that before God, but also resolve in your heart, right now, right here, resolve that you're going to go make that right. And you going to make that right is an expression of your love for God. Your absolute and complete allegiance to God. Let's take a few moments and then I will close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that you have made possible a way of salvation 
in which we can once again begin to love you with our whole being. Begin to live for others as you created us. Father, work in our hearts. Make this a reality to everyone here in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.